Hey guys, this is Text of the Matter, and uh, we're going to talk for the final time about our old friend, Emmanuel. If you're German, cunt. <laughs> yes, Emmanuel Kant. And his interpretation by some contemporary philosophers who we both find fascinating and have spent some time with. Yeah, and it's truly helpful. Um, as you probably know, if you've watched our previous episodes on Kant, um, Kant is um, very thorough, very methodical, very boring. <laughs> I mean, I love him, and yeah. he's very, extremely important, but I mean, you can't mince words. He's extremely boring and, and, and incredibly hard to read casually. You know, you have, really have to invest yourself in it. But what Kant brings us are some incredibly valid and incredibly important um, both concepts and ways of thinking that have fundamentally shaped how not just the Western world, but almost all of the world, you know, views society, views one another, our relationships to one another. And, um, you know, actually, I think, and at least in my view, actually influences capitalism and why we live in the society we live yes. in. Yes. And, and a big part of this conversation is going to be, in my idea, is more a speculative one, which is to what extent does Kant precipitate the state structure as we know it? Ooh, nice twist. Right? So I'm just going to do a short description of well, certainly some fascist, right? Yeah. <laughs> some, <laughs> some, some practical claims that he made that we didn't cover because we did critique of pure reason and we didn't do critique of practical reason. So in critique of practical reason, he pretty much outlines that, you know, virtue, happiness, not the same thing, right? We're trying to get human virtue. Right. And in his uh, outline of the faculties, right, in Critique of Pure Understanding, he is talking about the understanding as legislating the reason and our imagination. Right. Well, in practical reason, reason legislates itself. Right. And it is our only opportunity. Judge, jury and executioner, boys. Absolutely. And girls. But it is our only opportunity to view the nominal, right? Mm -hmm. Because in that regard, we are viewing other human beings. And to the degree that we know ourselves, we can know other human beings in a nominal sense. And to and, take a line from Hegel, tearing with the nominal yeah. really is speculative philosophy. Right? Absolutely. Um, because we are speculating about what could be out there, what what are things in themselves. And we we don't really have a way of, of proving those Theorems, right? Yes. That's what makes it practical. Right. Right. And so he essentially the the judgment that he makes about uh, practical reason is that we can act virtuously, right, and through that create super sensible, super f phenomenal uh, concepts of moral law. But the means by which we do that is through attaining towards summum bonum or the kingdom of God, right? So that's the Kendrick Lamar album cover, right? Oh yeah. Is that? No. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. We're doing film butterfly. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah I don't know. That's mine. Um, I should probably not be in this photograph, <laughs> but nonetheless, so he, he is saying that what was a problematic concept within uh, critique of pure reason because it couldn't be understood and was part of speculative philosophy. He says, has meaning in a reasonable sense 
as the model for which we build all of our um, norms off of, essentially. And so there's a relationship between activity and norms that is overdetermined by the ideals, right? By the ideals of summum bonum. And we can supplement that form, summum bonum, right? The kingdom of God, which any set of ideals, right? We can say instead it's like a, a neoliberal state of equality, right? Mm -hmm. What does that actually mean? Mm -hmm. Or you so, can go into the past and, and talk about, um, you know, the, the, the virtues or, you know, what is what makes a good Roman citizen or, yes. you know, fill in the blank of whatever you want to talk about or, what the ideal is. Yeah, or even the Stalinist shift to a bourgeois state of representing the whole rather than being a state of the proletariat you know right like there is positing this new kind of static ideal over society which determines norms and activities right and in there he also talks about freedom and so these are very tied to western society so in that regard i i think i'm interested to talk about some of the ideas that we get out of really two books um one is this one, Kant's Critical Philosophy by Deleuze, and the other is Kant's Critique of Pure Reason. It's a, a series of, I think, 20 or so lectures that uh, were transcribed that Adorno gave wherever he was teaching after the war in Germany. And I, I think both books are really important because they really crack open the egg that is Immanuel Kant's philosophy and and start cooking with it. And uh, obviously Adorno, who is, um, you know, in the Marx, Marxist tradition, um, but obviously one of the major figures of uh, critical theory. Uh, and, and a dialectician. And, and a dialectician. But what really is looking at in Kant is the kind of uh, origin of, the kind of capitalist mode of of engaging with the world, and specifically with Adorno, what he identifies is, um, and he riffs off some Nietzschean term, but what he kind of calls the other worldsman, uh, where basically he's he's noting in Kant's system, particularly in Critique of Pure Reason, um, what Kant is proposing is that there is the world out there, there is noumena. And then we have um, certain sense organs that allow us to perceive phenomena and then understand it in a way that's dictated by our humanity. Our, uh, humanity is kind of too broad of a word, but our physicality, right? Yes. And um, this is all fine and good. It's just kind of scientific truth maybe at this point. But what Adorno locates in this is a division is a more specifically a duplication and so every time we experience the world we are actually experiencing a duplication we are experiencing what uh, our faculties are taken what our imagination synthesizes into you know a cognitive understanding of what's happening in the world and in doing so we live in a mirrored world and in addition to that, with Kant's um, banishment of the noumena, is that we live in a world without the absolute. We live in a world in which these sort of more noble truths cannot live, and in fact do not live. And because of this, 
we're extremely uh, both um, uh, tempted by but also don't believe in these kind of greater truths, these metaphysical truths, um, which in Adorno's mind kind of brings in this like, um, you know, sort of the, the long form origin of things like alienation, um, but also create a world in this duplication, in this mirror world that we live in, that we feel ownership of because it is something that we have created in our minds and that this, that this ownership is in fact the capitalist urge yeah. to to pen off a square of land and say this is mine. Yes, and it is it is kind of the origin point of the ownership impulse. It, it's it's the it's the first. It is the production of the individual proper in bourgeois society. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, like yeah. the the property ownership aspect of it is determined by the fact that the the subject is cordoned off and and this is where Deleuze I think comes in very in a fascinating way because the one thing that he does love about Kant in a book that's largely critical of Kant is his positing of this empty form of the eye as he says this this Mm -hmm. is Shura this kind of space in the continuum that's broken right but Kant Instead of accepting this, because, you know, Kant made a change from from uh, Descartes, where Descartes would say that thinking badly or wrongly was an error. Kant included illusion, right? And illusion allows for thought to have more mobility, right? There's, there's a, a wider frame of causes and reasons for an illusion rather than someone just being wrong. But instead of accepting the illusory character of subjectivity on its face, he builds this system of reason, this this giant architecture of reason to push that illusion away, to keep illusion from ever touching the subject. And it, and it bears out in his practical system. And just as you said, where where does this emptiness of, of belief in these larger metaphysical concepts come it comes in the fact that some bonum, if you don't have that, if you don't have this ideal of the kingdom of God, then what is the standard for moral virtue? It's whatever is constructed in its place as a means of dominance, as a means of coercion, or even as a means of flattery, or, mm-hmm. or you know? Yeah, and I mean, and, and I think this is what Adorno is really trying to get at, too, is this, you know, you, you, you talk about this... Um, you know, kind of building this foundation to keep the illusion out, right? Which, um, obviously, in Kant, you know, he you're referring to this fact that Kant is very aware that illusion is very possible in the way that our cognition works, and he, he's kind of using it as a cautionary tale. That yes. There's many ways to succumb to illusion quite naturally and, and in ways you wouldn't notice. Um, but it also builds up this impulse of keeping the noumena out, yes. of of separating us from them. Uh, but in that separation, not only do we lose kind of the, the, the more noble truths that sort of populate um, ancient philosophy and thought yeah. and, and, and these things. Um, the kind of ritual aspects that Adorno would talk about that gave reason to 
things that may not be, have been causally correct, mm-hmm. giving the storm a reason of God, you know. Yeah. But that gave richness to experience. Exactly. And, and, and in doing so, actually undermines meaning itself. Yes. Um, and then by losing these things, we actually ruin what meaning is and, and ruin the capacity for ourselves to, to you know, like, like amino acids or something, link up to and, and unlock meaning in our lives. And, then, and that, you know, sort of the Marxist conception of alienation comes from these problems of, of living in a city that is maybe many foundations deep located on a premise that is actually banishing some of the most fundamental uh, capacities we have towards meaning and fulfillment and understanding. And, and for Adorno, as well as Deleuze, and honestly, if, if any of you are, after watching this, actually still interested in learning more about Kant and reading Kant, which I think you actually all should do because it's way more rewarding than it sounds. Um, <laughs> but start with this book that this, Deleuze wrote. Because, because it, it, it is so clear, concise, and elaborative on all of his books. He has four major books condensed in into like 90 pages. 90 pages, essentially. Yes. Because Deleuze ultimately had a love-hate relationship with Kant, and it begins in his preface because he, he, he starts with these four uh, formulas of Kant, which I think are beautiful. Um, one is t- from Hamlet. Um, time is out of joint, right? Um, the second is I is another, right, from Rimbaud. Um, uh, the third, uh, third is... Uh, what Kafka says, the good is what the law says. <laughs> and then Very four is another part of Rimbaud, which is a disorder of all the senses. So what, what Kant is trying to describe here is what we would call the system of faculties and their organization. And they each have a different organization in the three books. As I said, you know, the understanding legislates everything in critique of, of pure reason – Reason legislates everything in uh, practical reason. Um, whereas in, aesthet- in his aesthetic book, Critique of Judgment, there is a strangeness of the faculties, right? And so what Kant is trying, I mean, what Deleuze is trying to understand about Kant and locate in Kant is kind of three major steps, right? The first is a, a point of discovery that is kind of run over, which is that once you create this empty formalization of the subject, that the subject isn't filled, but is rather kind of a signification of the person that is can be filled by anything, right? And that becomes the order of time. Time no longer is this circle of the seasons, right? And that cult element that Adorno would refer to, but it turns cult, it turns time into a linear line, an empty line, like Borges would describe yeah. it, right? Yeah. The second aspect is going back to, you know, the good is what the law says, right? What we were talking about earlier, which is, you know, that he created a moral system where we had to justify moral law and that we have to produce moral law at all. 
because there is this ideal law that exists outside of our understanding, outside of our reasoning, but we have to try towards it, which is both a noble idea and then also an ultimately facile idea in practice. And then the third thing is something that both Adorno, Adorno in another book, his lectures on metaphysics, and Deleuze identify, and that is when in Critique of Judgment, he talks about the dynamical sublime, right? There's this beautiful moment where he talks about a subject when they are in absolute fear, right? Or absolutely overwhelmed by the moment in a storm, right? And at that point, the faculties are unable to align, right? And then there is a kind of freedom. Cue moonlight sonata yeah, right now. You yeah, know? There's, there's, a, there's a freedom, but also a, a space of a subjectivity where you are not a subject anymore and you are purely given over to sense. Yeah, right? it's pure experience where we're thinking, it's almost like life is, events are happening too fast for thought. Too fast for thought, yes. And, and you're, you become again present. Yes, very present. And in that, Kant, he gets so close and then mm-hmm. he says no, no, but then ultimately... And, then, and normally yeah. with Kant, he gets, he gets like... An inch of the way there, and is gets really bashful. And yeah, he's like, I, he's like, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly miss. I, 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 I like you, but I, I yeah. couldn't possibly. And it's one of those great moments of Kantian prose. Yeah, yeah. Like one of he doesn't have a ton, but it's one of those great moments. And and like you know Deleuze, who is not a critical philosopher, though he can, will be critical of certain things in what he posits. Um, but what he's looking for in in Kant is are these various positive moments, the idea that we are all within this kind of linear, almost thermodynamic force of time, yeah. which is obviously um, uh, built upon by Hegel, right? Right. In, in and his, yeah, this illusion of a propulsory history. Yeah. You know, and this obviously curses us today in that, you know, this this fundamental misguided, in my view, belief that of progress, progress yeah. with a capital P, that that uh, we always advance, that there's no going backwards, that there's that somehow everything that has come before us has come before us for a reason. Yes. Um, which is, you know, a wonderful excuse to wallpaper over many atrocities or justify um, horrible crimes committed in your name. Well, it creates a powerful dialectic, right? Mm-hmm. Because on the one hand, we have like a physical fact, right? Thermodyna- the thermodynamics of time mean that we are constantly uh, in the face of entropy. Things are constantly homogenizing. Our vision of the past will get more and more blurry. Our, uh, you know, our universe will look more and more like gas, right? And then at the same time, we have this subjectivity, this strange phenomenon within the universe that allows us to return and revise and subjectivize elements of this universe, right? And so the line, the linear line of empty time, right, as it's accumulating and accruing, or what what uh, Nietzsche would call the eternal return, right? right? Uh, this is a powerful element for understanding if used correctly. But at the same time, it can also be 
what Nietzsche would call monumental history, history that picks its heroes, its massive heroes, and and uh, the figures, singular figures, and erases all of the details of the past, you know? And uh, it, 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 it brings up something in Kant, which is that he, he necessarily, in his idea of trying to create an eternal peace and trying to create the grounds for making a perfect society, built a system where, you know, we're ultimately atomized. Yeah, where he centered the subject to the detriment of, of community in general, to collaboration and, and, you know, whatever you might call that weird disintegration where, you know, we're not quite sure where you end or I begin, and, and he sets out to eliminate that. Or maybe he doesn't set out to, but in his logical work, closes off any such transmission right everything everything is solidly demarcated yes and in through that demarcation we we of course have this atomized life and yeah. and the concept of atomization is another one of these things i can't remember if we were talking about it in this or in the last episode we did but you know uh alienation sure we understand it in the marxian sense um, but it's an older term. It's an older concept. And atomization is the same when we see it in uh, the Marxist critique of capitalist society all the time. But but it has its its origins in this this sort of Kantian time and this Kantian way of thinking, you know, which is which is these solid boundaries between us. I, I was reading a wonderful book by uh, writer Alfred North Whitehead. He's one of the rare kind of Anglophone ph philosophers of the. 20 like early to mid 20th century who actually said something worth listening to and he talks about like the history of scientific thought and its effects right and he describes Descartes as by creating the mind body problem as cre precipitating a terrible division that happened within the 19th century where um people lost sight of the kind of organic totality of reality, of scientific reality, right? Something that would only be discovered again when you start getting into Cantorian sets and Riemannian topology and other scientific concepts, you know, uh, Einstein's uh, theory of relativity, etc., which start connecting the whole of science. And in the Hegelian regard, it is a problem of a lack of dissolution to, to talk about what you were just talking about, where, where we're not seeing how these concepts dissolve into one another and how ultimately subjects dissolve into one another. And so I guess it, the interest in bringing up like, you know, both Adorno and Deleuze's critiques of Kant is that there is a, an energy that is the same, you know, uh, as Fisher would call it, the harsh Leninist superego would tell us, do not mix these unlike philosophers. One is the philosopher of negativity. One is the philosopher of affirmation. But ultimately, they're pointing at the same thing. This doubling without accounting for the process of doubling, this moral system that requires this layer of God, right, mm -hmm. that cannot be filled once society does away with it. And 
this kind of atomization of the subject without accounting for the ways in which they are creatively bound. Because in Critique of Pure Judgment, ultimately, it's about aesthetic understanding rather than aesthetic production, right? Right. right. It, you know, there are there is much taste to the chagrin of beauty. every art student ever. Yeah, but who goes in there thinking, "Oh man, because we all had to read it." Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and I mean, and and I think you know, as you call them, the affirmative philosopher and the negative philosopher, they're both pointing to the same thing and and sort of coming away with the same judgment of it. Yeah. You know, and and you know, I I think this is why why we started with Kant. Um, but this is also why studying Kant is important because in the framework of his philosophical system, we can see um, some poor decisions that we're still dealing with today. Just like someone who's rehabbing a very old house trying to, I don't know, get internet or uh, update their electric, electric experiences. Some of these problems that made sense hundreds of years ago, but that no longer function for us. And and so in studying somebody like Kant, we can start seeing these moments where maybe there's a dissolution or uh, a an action that we can make to better our world. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's really nice to talk about philosophy like it's a dead science, but but it is the philosophy of idea creation, of building society. And I would say that my, to end what I began, is that my suggestion in the fact that we are taking these two very unlike philosophers in two very different spaces and motivated by different ends, but who both were ultimately Marxists, right, in very different senses, um, that there can be, that not every combination of philosophy needs to be synthetic. We can have syncretic arrays of philosophy yes. where we learn something from two different angles, right? And so while, you know, Adorno is ultimately coming at it from a position of, like, elaborating on the German idealists and Deleuze is trying to supplement the German idealists, that, you know, two brilliant thinkers can have a like thought and we can sometimes supplement their different means of getting there, though their means are actually kind of similar, <laughs> yeah. and see that it produces like ends and that it, there's a kind of solidarity in that. Mm -hmm. and, and, a, and a direction forward, yes. you know, with some momentum. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, this was uh, just a little ditty on... Uh, Kant before we start dealing with uh, the negative and um, uh, I hope you guys uh, join us for our upcoming episodes on Hegel and a lot of other material yeah um, so yeah follow us you can subscribe we have a patreon if you want to support our project um, and please if you have questions we've got an email we've got a Facebook page we've got an Instagram we got YouTube just ask us your questions and um, hope you enjoyed yeah thank you Thank you. This is Text of the Matter. Peace out.